You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. This is another edition of Weekend Conversations. Each week, I'll take a deeper dive into an article or something I wrote during the week, often a Friday forward. And joining me to do this is Mick Sloan, co-producer of the Elevate Podcast. How's it going today, Mick? Doing well. How's your week been? It's cold. Uh, good, but cold. I, the winter's been so warm that maybe it's not like that cold on an absolute basis, but relatively, it feels pretty cold right now. I I am actively uh, shivering <laughs> as we record this. You can so see we- me. I'm wearing a, I'm wearing like a winter coat. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see if the audience can hear that in my voice. All right. So this week we're actually going to be talking about the latest Friday Forward, which is called Falsification Principle. Yeah, so this post digs into an interesting concept from Karl Popper, who was a decorated scientific philosopher from the 20th century. And one of Popper's most famous contributions to science, which became a foundation of the scientific method, was the falsification principle, which says that for a theory to be considered scientific, it must be able to be proven false. So essentially, this means in the scientific method, you start with a theory and then you look for evidence that proves it false rather than only looking for confirmation. It's probably pretty clear to people who are familiar with your work, but I wanted to ask, why do you find this resonant? I guess there's two reasons I really found it resonant thinking about, uh, particularly thinking about the world today. One is, you know, when you think about sort of, again, scientific thinking and challenging your assumptions and otherwise, like... A scientist really wants to be proven wrong. They want to put a theory out there, and like the more you throw stuff at it, the more right they are. Right? The more, the more they can deflect it, and so they're actually welcome of of criticism and and and, and sort of disproof. Um, so that's one side of the the equation. On the other side, you know, I've seen today we have a lot of uh, theories being put out there, strong statements, maybe sort of as opinions, but people are. Whether they know Popper or not, they are often wording them or explaining them in a way that they are unfalsifiable or unchallengeable. So not not only are these people, um, you know, not not they're, they're they're wording it in a way they can't be proven wrong and and don't seem to be open to any criticism. And so I think that's kind of a dangerous conversation. And so I th- I think more people should think about and, and 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 kind of move back to this scientific principle that, you know, if you're if someone's going to accept something you say is true, then then they need to be able to figure, <laughs> figure out if they can prove it wrong. So I think that there's a really important difference between like scientific truth and sort of a rhetorical argument that someone might make. Or opinion. And so like yeah. I think yeah. yeah. And and so if you if you think about Two of the foundational things that people learn in school, for example, you'll learn about the scientific method and you'll learn about how to write an essay where you'll have your thesis and you'll find your supporting points and you'll use that to like strengthen your case. And so I think that what I'm hearing from you is that we have a little too much of the essay writing approach where you're selecting evidence and like finding uh, evidence that supports your case and not quite enough of the scientific approach, which is, I believe this, I want to find things and test it and put it under scrutiny that will actually prove me wrong rather than only trying to find things that will prove me right. Right. Or, or, or understanding that it's a, th- 
it, it's a theory or it's an opinion or from your fall ex- small experience, right? So the example Popper gives, which I think is a great one, let's just make it clear about the truth, is, is sheep. So, you know, if I live in a remote part of Canada and I've only seen white sheep, I might declare that all sheep are white. Well, that's true for anyone who's been around and never seen it, but but then that's only true until someone produces a black sheep. Um, so not only does the black sheep disprove that all sheep are white, but it actually definitively proves that all sheep are 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 not white. <laughs> um, so it, it it has the 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 opposite effect, and and I think there are a lot of there are a lot of things like that. And like I said, I, I see more and more things worded in a way so they couldn't be challenged. I mean, if you're uh, one of the questions I think it's interesting to ask someone, or even like if you were down to your, uh, you know, someone on your team and they presented an idea and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm 100% convinced this is true. You know, one of the interesting questions is like, what what would make it untrue? Like what information or thing or what, what when you're arguing with someone, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, in Tim Urban's uh, sort of uh, hierarchy um, of, of, of thinking, if they're arguing this point, like, you know, violently and passionately, and if you said, is there anything, <laughs> any data or evidence that could change your mind on this? And they say no, then you know that that person is a fanatic, basically, or fundamentalist, that it's not, you know, that, that, that there's actually no data that can change their mind. There, a lot of my, again, if you if, if, if I'm someone who doesn't believe in God and then God shows up at the door, like... I, you know, or something like that. I mean, it's an extreme example that that you should always change your mind based on new information. Yeah. And so I want to double click a bit on the, the sheep example, because I think it's, it's really important to understand the concept, but also to think about how people approach theories in the right way and in the, in the wrong way, we, we could say. What Popper said basically is that a person should not say all sheep are white and then just bring all the white sheep that they can find into one place and say like, look, see, this proves that I'm right. Look at all these white sheep. What they would want is they would actually want to specifically seek out and try and find any proof of sheep that were sheep that were not white. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so crucially when there is that disproving of the theory and the production of a black sheep, that actually is not a failure of the theory. It is the scientific method at work. And it's 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 learning, it's increasing of knowledge. And, and what it does add, it proves, it adds a new definitive thing to the catalog, which is that sheep are coming different colors, right? So that, that now becomes a truth, which we didn't know before. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, part of the thing that really made Karl Popper gravitate to this principle, this falsification principle, is because he was challenging philosophies at the turn of the century that were not open to challenge and suggested certainty. And I think that we are in a current era where the world feels very chaotic, where people you know, are afraid of things that are out of their control. They don't feel like they have the answers to anything. And I think people really crave certainty and are hungry for it. And there are a lot of people who present themselves and present their ideas as certain who kind of feed that demand. 
the false the false prophets of certainty. Yeah, we have a lot of people now, um, and you know, kind of an example that Tim Urban used in his book, which I thought was great, is like let's talk about the Force from Star Wars. Star Wars. So let's pretend, you know, I'm out there and I'm telling everyone that we are we are fundamentally controlled by the Force, and it it, it affects our mind and our behavior. Otherwise, um, it impacts all of us. It touches everything that we do. Uh, and and by the way, people who don't believe in the Force. You know, anti-force people—they are just—you know—they are lying to themselves. They know that they're doing it. They are completely blind. They're idiots. So you can swap a lot of other arguments that you hear out there for that. But again, there's two two powerful things in this. And again, I think I don't know whether some people do this intentionally or unintentionally. And again, they just kind of learn it. One, I, I, I'm 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 stating something that can't be proven. I don't know how someone can prove that the force doesn't exist, right? It's just uh, other than attacking me and I'll tell them, well, you, you again, you have no proof that the force doesn't exist and, I, and I'm right. So they, they, they sort of make that uh, argument bulletproof. And then two, they're not open to any question or challenges or otherwise. They're extremely dismissive and say that those people don't get it. They're p- people that don't, believe in the force are part of the problem, right? That's another that's another thing that we might hear. So this is a totally unfair. And if you do this with enough charisma and 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 confidence, um you can start to uh impact a lot of people on something that's total BS. Uh, or not BS, it's just not true. Or maybe it applied to a really small subset or frankly it's my opinion or it's my experience. But I'm talking about it as a grand unifying theory of the world which it is not because it doesn't meet those conditions. Yeah, and so I think that there's a really there's a real amplifying effect of this problem, which is obviously the way that news spreads on the internet, the way that social media has democratized communication and reach and we're in an environment today where credible sources and uncredible sources tend to look the same. Like anyone can get access to good lighting, a good camera, a blue check mark. Like if you want to talk specifically about Twitter. Uh, and it just it makes it so that if someone has a craving for certainty, especially a certainty of a belief that confirms their own prior held beliefs, people just really eat that stuff up right now. And I, I think that there's almost a need for a mindset shift where you need to be vigilant about yeah. that stuff and you need to scrutinize the things that you see and that you hear. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Yeah, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, and it could be a good Friday forward uh, in the future, but it's this notion of, as you said, social media validation and, and experts. So someone can get a million fans on Instagram because they made like crazy pudding videos, <laughs> right? So I actually think there should be some badge that like this person's followership is in crazy pudding videos. Because then when that person says something that's totally out of their, and that's an extremely out of their wheelhouse or out of their expertise or out of where all these people follow them for, people tend to accept that as gospel. And that, that's kind of one of the things that's really different. Even reporters in the past had, had domain-specific credibility or, or expertise. And I think we just don't look at the source. I'm like, oh, this person has a million followers. Well, if the million followers from, was from making like funny videos, you may not want to accept you know, political theories or scientific theories from this person. Yeah, and so we're in we're in a culture right now where obviously there's a real bias in social media and a real forcing to the front of the line of stuff that kind of it it plays on people's fears yeah. or people's frustrations or people's anger and it kind of makes everything political. Where all your you might be a person for example who's famous for your workout videos and you know your your meal prep videos to help people bulk at the gym. And then you're talking about some other things that might be political in nature, might be scientific in nature. And suddenly you're incredibly famous and credible in one domain, but you're offering advice or opinions or statement stating things as facts in another domain where there might not necessarily be that same credibility you're over you're over your skis but to an external person who's just scrolling on an app it's i'm wondering what the solution there is other than that people just have to be more careful and telling people that they have to apply a real layer of scrutiny to the things that they see flying at them as they scroll through a social media feed it just it feels like a tall order, and I wonder if it's a realistic thing to expect people to do. My dystopian answer is I think the social media platform should assign like credibility tags <laughs> to, to you based on genre, right? On some sort of algorithm, which they probably could, they'll never do, but if they could do it, want like Mick. Mick has demonstrated credibility in cat videos, but not you know 
COVID vaccine uh, efficacy. Look, that's a perfect example, right? I think depending on which side of that, a lot of the pro and anti and things on vaccine came from people who had massive followings and zero scientific um, knowledge. But to, to answer your question, I mean, the first step, it, it is a tall order. I think the first step is A, not believing everything we read or looking at the source, and B, not forwarding it or, or, or reamplifying it until we've kind of validated it in some way. Because now, like, there's a benefit to, like, getting this out there and then saying, oops, afterwards. And some of us are are, are sort of helping that, even though probably don't want to be. Yeah, and the thing, I think that that actually is a really, really good distinction because being super vigilant, scrutinizing every single thing that you see, that is really hard. What's not hard, though, is not actively spreading something that you can't stand behind the veracity of. And I think that there has been a real problem and a real prevalence on all social media platforms. I mean, notably, the owner of X or Twitter does this somewhat often of posting something that has maybe it's an extreme video, maybe it's an extreme statistic or an anecdote and saying, this is crazy. Does anyone know if this is true? And I don't know, that might have been a good question to verify before amplifying it to more people. Yeah, we look, we, we, we all you know, need to be a little more discerning. I think one of the things you can look at too, and I do look at this with certain people in the comments, is how do they respond to comments and challenges, right? Are they are they respectful? Do they kind of go back on the context and answer questions and sort of debate in a healthy way? Or are they just entirely dismissive of anything that challenges their their idea or their Yeah, and that, that I think is the falsification principle at work is if someone is engaging with people who disagree with them in a respectful way, or if they're saying, you know, this is a good point, like I, I want to learn more about this side of things, that that's a good, I think a good illustration of credibility because openness to challenge, as you say in the piece, is a good illustration of whether something is credible. So bring this back to leadership. Like if I'm a good leader who wants a good outcome, again, you could say this, I'm going to do this one down. You could do this up to leadership and I'm going to do this down, right? So I come in the room, I have an idea. We're going to bet a huge thing in our company on X. Like, And here are the reasons, I think, my inductive reasoning. Because of A and the market and B, C. Like, you know, uh, you could say, like, any objections before I do this tomorrow? And, and you're, pro- <laughs> you're probably not going to get a lot. Or you could say, all right, poke holes in this now. Beat me up. Pressure test it. Like, you know, the the the, the person who does that is is usually often the better leader and, and and more likely to get the better outcome. Even if they go forward with that plan, based on that feedback or that beating up or that pressure testing, there are a lot of elements that they're willing to to do. But, you know, if the emperor has no clothes on, then you're not going to get that feedback. Kim, Kim Scott had shared, I think, when she was on our podcast years ago, I've posted this a few times. I thought it's great. Is that if you want to know if there's psychological safety, you know, around you, like if you're the person with the crazy ideas and everyone's saying yes, and you're a leader, ask your team to do something that's fundamentally impossible and see whether in the room someone was willing to say something to you or, or you know, three days later, someone's going to come by and say, well, we just wanted to, you know, versus like, you get, you know, there's no effing way that we can do this like you know the product can't even get out of the warehouse that fast yeah i mean i i think a really good example actually of that exact thing not 
not being healthy is Theranos. There are a lot of stories of people at Theranos being asked to reproduce results that were impossible to produce. And there was no opportunity or openness to challenging. So I'm curious, how far should a leader go in inviting challenge to their ideas? Like, should they go as far as if, say, for example, you're planning an initiative or a strategy, is it worthwhile to assign someone to build the case against you? Is it, do you want people who are <laughs> yeah. particularly pugnacious and will fight back against you? It's funny. I think about this all the time. We've lost the notion of debate in education, like debate club or like, or just be like, you take the pro, you take the con. Let's see. Like there's, there's value in everyone and just listening to that intellectual yeah, there's an interest, like assign someone to, you know, look, that's a great way to give them psychological safety. Look, if you know, you're the character of the defense lawyer, let's hear the cross-examination, right? And then that sort of gives them some protection of, well, these aren't, this isn't the way I feel, but this is what I would expect that someone would say or question or, or, or challenge this. So yeah, things should be challengeable. Look, any teacher these, and there are a lot of academics teaching stuff that is, that is driven by viewpoint political ideology is not peer vetted is not open to challenge and that like really shouldn't be happening in 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 higher level education and i get back to this like debate principles of 101 like i even think make people take the opposite you know make them go around have the argument and then have the reverse argument it's a super interesting intellectual exercise yeah and so i i think that this does come back to something that i mentioned earlier which is the idea of Chaotic environments create this thirst for certainty. And I think that we're in a chaotic social environment in some facets. That's why people like populist candidates. Yeah, yeah. A chaotic political environment. I think also this is the case with a chaotic macroeconomic environment like the one that we're in now, where if you're a leadership team and your CEO gets in front of you, or if you're investors and your CEO gets in front of you and says, hey, I'm 100% certain that if we do this, this is the way to go. This is going to work. Rah, rah, let's do it. A lot of people, I think, wanting something to cling to a shred of certainty will say, well, this guy's got all the answers. Let's follow this. Well, well, there's also, interesting you say that, we we didn't talk about this before you made me think about it. When there's a lot of chaos and back and forth otherwise, and someone presents a unifying theory that explains what is otherwise randomness, (laughs) you know, or thing like, you know, they offer an explanation that provides certainty to uncertainty. And so you could look at, oh, this is why all these disparate things, again, the force is the reason why all these disparate events and things happen and are connected. And that, and that again, provides some meaning to people or, and it provides some, as you said, some clarity within the chaos. Yeah. Well, th- I mean, this is the foundation for why so many conspiracy theories take hold. And I'm talking like some of the most famous conspiracy theories in the world, but I'm also talking, I think that the term conspiracy theory could apply to, as you've talked about, if, say, a sales team loses a deal and they'll say, well, oh, clearly there was some shady dealing going on with the person who got it. You know, you you wrote about this in your, in your book, Elevate Your Team, about agency and internal control versus things that are outside of your control. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and um, yeah, it, it didn't occur to me, but that is maybe why some of these things happen, because 
chaos is a terrible thing to waste. And so if I can tell everyone why the chaos is happening and what, and what are the people, you know, what are the people of these often unproven theories that relate to chaos do? What do they do for a living? They sell the antidote. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of cases, I think the funny thing is that there's obviously a lot of people like you just described, you know, the, the con people of the world, the the candidate who promises to fix everything. But I think that also there's a lot of people who fall into the same trap and present themselves as having certainty who, frankly, aren't bad intention. They just aren't applying the proper degree of scrutiny to the to what they're selling. And they, they kind of buy their own hype. Yeah, they they drink their own Kool-Aid because it probably makes them feel better. Again, if if all these kind of random things are happening and I can I can make sense of that, like even if it's wrong, you know, it, I mean, I, I talk a lot about, you know, Nassim Tlaib's book, Fooled by Randomness. But he, he says people make unbelievable patterns and causal analysis out of totally randomly generated data. And he's done he's done experiments on this. And, you know, you would. These are some serious grand unifying theories that would explain all of this, except all the data was random. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think that the reality, it's as simple of a fact as believing that the world is chaotic and is random is scary. Like it, it makes people uncomfortable. And I, I think that ultimately, when we talk about the falsification principle, it's kind of leaning into this discomfort of knowing that you can't be certain. You have to you can't let certainty prevent you from having clarity. But if anyone listening to this, whether they were in leadership, politics, philosophy, anything, kind of went out tomorrow, changed their viewpoint to like, I, I, you know, I'm not right until people can prove me wrong. Like it would just be a very, a they would be more right. <laughs> They'd actually, and and as Bezos once said, and I think you know, I think a lot of people miss this, but. You know, it's more important to get it right than than who is right. Like again, within an organization, you are trying to get it right rather than have people be right. And he said, "Look, I'm, I'm, I'm the people that get promoted in our organization are the people that get it right more often, and and the people that get it right more often are probably the one that make sure that these concepts and ideas are are falsified and pressure tested and 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 you know are are are, are worthy of, of of moving along." When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So do you think that there's a story in Adam Grant's book, Think Again, where he gave a talk and 
the famous uh, psychologist Daniel Kahneman came up to him afterwards and said, "I loved your talk because it made you change. It made me change my mind and realize something I thought wasn't true." That's pretty big of him to admit. People don't like to admit when they're wrong. Yeah. Do you think that this is something that can be taught and that people can learn, or do you think that there are just certain people who gravitate toward the sciences who are just these elevated thinkers who have this comfort with being wrong and? actually want to be invalidated if it exposes the truth i think it goes back to education and i think those people are probably more quantifiably and data you know quantifiable and data oriented people to begin with but they are also taught the scientific method they are taught the value of critical thinking they are taught um you know certain certain ways to think and look at things that that people in other disciplines like especially the humanities are not they're just taught to accept things that people tell them kind of at face value and don't don't challenge them or don't offend them. So I, 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 I you probably again, you're, you, there's probably different starting lines, but then you, you either you propagate certain ways of, of, of thinking and behaving for what comes after. Yeah, that. and I, I think that this is a particular pitfall that humanities studies tend to fall into and I look, I I'll include myself in this group. Like I'm readily able to admit that I have I love like I love, for example, the movie A Few Good Men, the Aaron Sorkin script that he wrote. And he did this a lot on his show, The West Wing, too, which is now there's just YouTube clips everywhere of The West Wing. And so often in those stories, it's very neat and tidy where the best speech kind of wins and the enemies are just crushed by the power of you you can't handle the truth yeah and and people are just overpowered by the power of someone's rhetorical argument and i think that there is a real glorification of that type of rhetorical presentation that i think actually has been a little bit harmful because it conveys a degree of certainty because you have the best speech, that means you have the best ideas and that all of your ideas are right. And we should we should link to this. But I, I agree, right? There's always, look, there's something to be said for confidence and charisma and communication ability because it enhances it. And some people are much more extroverted and some people are introverted. And it goes to the, the memo method that we've written about and talked about. And we can link to that around it. Particularly letting, you know, using using memos around meetings and sort of, you know, not favoring the people who are just the best orators, you know, in, in terms of the people who need time to think and come back and have the best ideas. There are actually some ways to normalize that, right? If And let, you know, give people prep work before a meeting and let them kind of write or come to the meeting with something a little bit. Those people that aren't as just, again, quick and need to think they're probably a lot smarter, but they just need to think through it and are careful with their words. It helps put them on an even playing field. You know, if I, again, let's just say I threw out this idea on the call um, and you're one of these kind of fast type and, you know, you're speaking and you, you, you jump in, you give an objection, you're confident. And then there's this other quieter, more thoughtful person that thinks I'm about to do the dumbest thing ever, but they haven't form their argument clearly enough in their head and they need some times and they're kind of intimidated so they don't say anything. Well, if I had told everyone what we were going to talk about and give them some background information a couple of days before the meeting, then uh, that person might have felt totally in a different, they would have gotten their stats and their facts and whatever they needed. You know, the, the great orders just make up stuff like a lot of times. They don't need stats and facts. They just, you know, talk faster than the other people. So it's a great example of normalizing the playo 
playing field for for different types of people in your in your organization. Yeah, and I think combining that idea you just shared with a really good one that you said earlier, testing out if there is an initiative or a strategy, sending a memo laying that stuff out. And then that not only gives people time to formulate a response, but you also, I would think, might even say, I want you all to give this some thought and I want you to bring challenges to this to test it. And there's two, you could do two versions of that. You could say, look, you know, we're doing this, right? So I don't what is the, I don't know. Let's just say it's like a layoff. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Like we're, we're, we're doing this. So don't try to talk me out of it. But, but, Let's focus on how we do it best or or do not agree with how we're going to do it or otherwise. I, I think, again, you could you could talk about whether you're open. You should be clear whether you're open to the whole thing being blown up or you're open to people speaking up and, and pushing back and falsifying part of it so that you'll change what it is that you're that you're willing to do. But I do give credit. Sometimes people are like, look, whatever it is, you know, I'm leaving or we're launching the product or we're doing this. So um, I think that's it's important to to make it clear again whether whether you're even because again i don't think people are going to take the level of risk that they're going to take in trying to falsify your theory is is often tied to the psychological safety that you have uh given them so i think the we've talked about the leadership implications of this the last topic on this post that i'm curious for your thoughts on is what's a good way to use this understanding and challenge people or push back on people in real life. And, you know, I'm not talking about hopping on Facebook and saying, oh, what are your sources to everything you see? But if, say, you're talking to someone and they say something or they send something to you that you are kind of not feeling confident about the veracity of it, what would you do? Yeah. Again, I, I would sort of push them to, you know, show some evidence for, for what it is. Or again, I like these questions like what have you looked for disconfirming evidence? Have you looked for any of that? What 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 new data or evidence would make you change your mind? You know, or make you look at it differently. And I just listen to some of the answers on that. So, and if there's no nuance in any of it, then I would be really I would be really careful, right? Like, there's just nothing. Again, that answer to me that you if you have the answer, there is no data that could change your mind. Like then. Again, you're dealing with a fanatic or a fundamentalist. You're not dealing with someone who's who's rational or about logic or critical thinking. Like they're just going to believe this come hell or high water. I, there is no belief that I that I have that if shown with irrefutable evidence to me, like I wouldn't change my mind on. Yeah, and I think again, if if you're dealing with someone who proves themselves to be a zealot, that doesn't mean that you should never talk to them again but it probably means that if they send you something you should have that filter up but in the context of that issue or discussion or otherwise like you just might realize that it's just not it's just not going overwhere anywhere i'm not looking to be spend a lot of time with people who are zealoty about uh everything (laughs) maybe some people like them but i think they make tough company It's, it's a fair it's fair enough passionate passionate not zealot yeah exactly everything in some degree of moderation so quote of the week is from albert einstein and uh it is no amount of experimentation can ever prove me right a single experiment can prove me wrong. Yeah, so I don't look. I don't know what the chicken and the egg were, but clearly Popper and Einstein were aligned <laughs> on the on the fal- falsification principle on this. So 
I think when I was looking around, I was like, yeah, like um, I, I think it just shows that actually some of the some of the best people, greatest inventors or achievers, they 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 got it right because they are willing to get it wrong. And they were willing to be proven wrong and other people tell them to get it wrong. So uh, again, I don't know I don't know which came first here, but I, my guess is they were very closely allied on this philosophy. Yeah, and it's it's so true. I mean, you you can never be 100% sure. You can be unraveled by one data point. Yeah, you can be 100% sure, but that doesn't mean you're right. <laughs> <laughs> that that's true. There there's a difference. We we both met people that are a hundred percent sure. I I have been a person who's a hundred percent sure more often than I really should have been. Yeah, but again, in the context of go back to that Bezos quote, I think that and think about the people that you were reward in your organization. Right, we should focus on the people that you know don't don't that not that made the best assertions because we confuse the best assertions and the most with the people who in the end turned out to be right more than everyone else all right well thank you for listening today everyone if you want to check out the post that we discussed go to robertglazer.substack.com and look for the post titled falsification principle look out for future editions of weekend conversations which will show up in your podcast feed on saturday mornings and if you haven't subscribed to the show we have some great guests coming up in the next couple weeks so follow the elevate podcast on your favorite podcast app until next time keep elevating this episode is brought to you by the yap media podcast network I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.